Even though, you know, my dad always says, try to keep it clean. But we, we don't usually. We try. Yeah. Does your dad listen to all of them? He does listen to a lot of them. Does he call you after and give you show notes? No, but he does come up with topics <laughs> for us. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. He's the only one that listens to all. <laughs> They'll be like, have you ever heard of this? And I'm like, no, of course I haven't. And then he'll be like, you need to do some research on this. And then we end up doing a show on it. What a supportive dad. Yeah, you know. <laughs> we're, we're going now. Oh, we're saying. going now. Yeah. <laughs> See how that worked? That was good. Like Did you it. like it? I like it. Yeah, it's the typical parababble intro. Yep. Yep, completely disorganized. We have no idea what we're doing. I mean, we're completely professional. <laughs> right? Yeah, I guess. If that's what you want to oh, say. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So this is a very special episode of Parababble tonight. Yes. We have an in-studio guest. Mm-hmm. And it's not Rob. No, it's not me. This is and a really it, nice studio. Isn't it? I love it. Right? I know. It's uh, it's comfy. It you is like very it? comfy. It's yeah. Cool. Heated well, seats. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. Chupacabra and everything. Yeah. Yep. Residential mascot. So um, I think that we should just jump right in, right? So Doug Carlson, welcome to the show. Thank you. Welcome to Parababble. I'm um, so excited. With your, your hosts, Robin Allison. Oh, that's right. Us, too. Yeah. <laughs> we are usually here, too. Most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. So when I first started um, talking to you about some of the stuff that you're into, it was really surprising to me that we had so much in common, especially when it comes to, like, the paranormal and, like, just, like, the horror, gen- you know, genres and stuff like that. So um, we're going to get into a little bit of that, but I kind of just wanted the people listening to get to know you a little bit better. Yeah. So why don't you give us a little bit of background about, um, you know, your brand first. Sure. Um, yeah. So I am, uh, I'm Doug Carlson. I am a mixologist and certified sommelier. Um, I have been in the industry for going on a decade now, um, running bars and, and so on. And uh, so recently we started a brand called Liquid Art Mixology, which is uh, just kind of a um, social media platform and brand that socially revolves around craft cocktails and the whole culture behind it. Uh, we have a few different avenues we pursue. One is our cocktail book coming out in hopefully a couple weeks. Um, that is almost like an art piece for collectors, more more like that side of um, the the book style rather than uh, a cookbook style. Um, this is because we teamed up with Create to paint an original painting for the cover, and uh, that inspired a bunch of the art inside the book. We also do some catering where we do like private wine tastings guided by a sommelier, or um, we do like we have a mobile bar we're building that we're going to be bringing to weddings next year. And then uh, finally, we do some collaboration projects like this one where I come and talk at different shows. Um, I was just on Spiel the Wine on TV. Uh, I team up with local companies like liquor companies. I'm teaming up with a mead company in the spring to make their uh, a mead flavor, a specialized mead flavor through them. So, yeah, we do we do a bunch of stuff all over the board. So you're busy. Busy, busy. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah. And you're basically centered out of the Buffalo, New York area. Yep. Right? Um, but I any- didn't want people stalking me, but thanks. <laughs> so no, like, you do want people stalking oh, yeah, yeah. you. That's the point, right? Like, you do want that. Um, maybe not crazy stalkers, right. but, you know, stalkers in general. <laughs> so um, with all of this stuff going on, 
you know, Rob and I have both published books, wow. and we know how stressful that can be, and yes. how many times you have to go back and rewrite and look at things. So, can you just maybe talk a little bit about the journey of your book and kind of oh my gosh, yes. where it started, <laughs> how you're you're so close to being done with oh, it now that it's that's amazing. So, so far, yeah, we um, so about two or three years ago, I had these patrons at my bar that absolutely loved what I did. I'm um, a very a very uh, which I think is kind of why you brought me on here. I'm very story driven when I make cocktails and stuff. Um, I like to tell the story of where this cocktail came from or an ingredient or a specialized liquor. And um, this particular couple would come in almost weekly and ask me to make things off of the menu, like uh, not on the menu for them. And uh, so it really got me creative. They loved it. They ended up taking a bunch of pictures and bringing me in like almost like a, our year anniversary, uh, um, a photo album of all my pictures and my drinks and asked me to write the recipes down, which kind of turned into... The idea of making a published cocktail book with my recipes, my stories, um, the story of my life and how I got here and everything like that. Um, and so that went on for about a year of me writing down all my recipes, stories, editing them back and forth, so on and so forth. And um, last February, I went on a cruise, did a art uh, auction thing and won a piece of Creates Paintings um, hanging in my house now and absolutely loved it and I love the idea. If you go look up his style, it's very, um, when I say liquid art, that, that kind of matches that style to me. Um, so I had the crazy idea to reach out to him and get an original painting for the cover of the book to just take it to that next level, which added another couple months to our deadline. <laughs> um, but he was all for it. And then we raised uh, something like $15,000 on Kickstarter for back uh, pre-orders um, for the commission price of him as well as, as getting the, the brand almost global now because he's a global collector or collection piece for, for artists. Um, so yeah, and then we're right now, we're just on the cusp of our graphic designer sets up the book and we look at it and we find one little detail we don't like, so we fix it and then we print it and we find another problem. So we're just on that, that final polishing stage and, and hopefully we're done with that in the next week or two. Yeah, it can definitely be tedious. Rob was my graphic designer. I was like, hey, can you make me a cover? And he was like, maybe. I'll see what it looks like. And that's pretty much how it happened. So... Yeah, I mean, it's definitely labor of love, for sure. Absolutely, yeah. yes. But when you're passionate about something, you know, as I know that you are about this stuff, I'm sure it makes it that much easier to deal with all the setbacks and the things that happen. Right. Because there's always a lot of those things. Absolutely. So you have, you've been in the field for a long time. Yes. And you've been doing this, you know, at different places, various different roles that you've had. Mm. So why don't we talk a little bit about, you know, like, what are your favorite drinks to make? Like, what's your favorite kind of you know liquor what's like the most versatile do you think like what do you like yeah. to make the most yeah absolutely um i i don't really shy away from anything you know i i think if you're talking about versatility i think vodka um just because the point of vodka is the higher the quality the less you taste which is kind of why i don't like it to be honest um i mean i, I drink it for just as much as anybody else but um, when you're talking like the art of, of making a liquor, I think things like bourbon or tequila, where there's an intentional flavor there, um, I think those are really, really cool. Uh, as for cocktails, I, probably I always tell people my number one is either like a Mai Tai or a New York Sour. Um, both are pretty complex, have cool histories behind them, and uh, are extremely tasty. So I've had the, the privilege of having you make me drinks yeah. quite a few times. Um, and I always really appreciate the stories and yeah. the history that comes with that. And when we were first talking about getting together for the show, I know we kind of were bouncing around some ideas. 
And I was having a conversation today with somebody before the show um, about you coming onto the show. And they had started asking me some questions about absinthe in particular. Yeah. And I feel like that is definitely something that has this very macabre feeling to it just right. because of the way it's right. been used and things that have happened. But it's also got like this crazy history that's not really that crazy. Right. Yeah. So that's it's a common thing. And it's funny to me that like now in, in 2023 that it is still a, a stigma that is um, and pre- relevant to to absinthe you know even in my personal family i've been down to new orleans myself we've went to an absinthe bar and i hear you know my parents saying like oh careful you don't drink too much of that you might start seeing things and that's <laughs> the truth of the matter is that is 100 percent bogus um it, it dates back to when the wine industry was really blooming in france and um they at the same time, you had these different medicinal um, concoctions, potions, liquors kind of popping up here and there. Um, and that's kind of the birthplace of like gin up in, in England. Um, you see something like chartreuse coming out of the French chartreuse and mountains. Um, and then you see something like absinthe popping up. And they originally were, were like born in apothecaries meant to be medicinal. And this one in particular got really really popular and the wine industry hated that so they started this whole like schmear about it of of trying to make propaganda they looked into it and it's made with wormwood and wormwood in an enormous quantity can create hallucinogens to you um uh, and or hallucinations and so they they saw this and they kind of just ran with it and it's it's almost like saying if you eat apple seeds you'll die from arsenic poisoning you know it's it's an absurd amount and and then even the distilling process would take anything like that out of it um you know it's like people who say they they love a specific vodka because it uh advertises gluten-free the the real truth of it is all vodka is gluten-free gluten can't transfer in the distilling process and neither can the wormwood um hallucinogenic properties so in truth it is completely harmless um, it's just a high alcohol, black licorice tasting liquor, um, and it, it's it's funny how how many stories how like you even look at like cartoons of like the 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 princess and the frog has all the green smoke and everything and trying to give that ambiance you know it's it's the same it's funny that that culture is just spread like wildfire but it, it's it's bogus. No, I'm like completely ignorant to this kind of stuff, so I have to ask like you said high alcohol with absinthe, like on average, would you say like? What yeah. Percentage with so we okay. actually have a really cool absinthe bar, pretty local here, um, that uh, I went to pretty recently, and they had they had some absinthe hitting around the eighty mark, eighty uh, proof. Um, I've seen lower ones. You can buy like lower ones for your bar as like almost like a mixer where they'll be hovering around the forty percentile. But if you get like the absinthe purists, air quotes, not seen by viewers, um, <laughs> the, the the better higher higher quality absinthe tend to hover around eighty percent. Wow. So no real green fairies, no, no, uh, no. you know, no crazy things happening. Well, that's kind of disappointing, though. Isn't it? Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and you got to think there's a reason why, like, the FDA approves this, why it's in our bars can just order it for fun, you know? Yeah. If, if it was so dangerous, it wouldn't be that way. <laughs> Rob and I actually went to a bar in Gettysburg. We were there for a convention. It was called Absinthe. I don't know if you remember that bar. I don't remember the name of the bar. Yeah, it was a really cool bar. It had, you know, like the stained glass windows with like the little green fairies in them, like a big copper bar. But we didn't have any absinthe while we were there. No. No. We should have. Yeah. It just wasn't wasn't on the the docket for the night, I guess. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. I love love that whole aesthetic that it brings to the table. I think it's cool. I, you know, um, I just, that's, that's not true, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's got a really cool ritual to it. And I think like that's part of it too. You know, Absolutely. Like when you see like the old Victorian, you know, pieces like, that. Right. Like a legend. Yeah. You know, it's like. It's like, you know, you, you need this kind of, you know, stuff so that you can drip the sugar on it and it looks this way and it's just, like, cool to look at. Right. And that's and that's something, like, me personally, I want to add one to my collection, an absinthe drip. Um, I'm not I'm not too sure where where exactly that started. I'm sure it started in the apothecaries themselves. Um, but, you know, they have this big fancy ornate glass, almost punch bowl type thing to slowly drip. Um, water, cold water, onto a sugar cube, on a slotted spoon, into your like it is very ritualistic, and it adds to that ambiance of like, ooh, I'm making a potion. I'm gonna get. <laughs> I'm gonna start seeing things. It's uh, it's 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 a neat, it's a neat factor, and and it doesn't taste too bad if you like black licorice. So, it's probably like that mass hysteria, you know, like when somebody started drinking it, and they probably just got drunk. Right. And then, you know, the next person is like, oh, that stuff will drive you crazy. Right. And really, there's not much to it. So. I think that's really interesting, and it, we kind of get into a little bit of the rituals yeah. that are involved around alcohol and how those things kind of play out sometimes. And, you know, that just being a nice segue that there's definitely like a ritualistic way that people would drink absinthe. Absolutely. And, you know, we can kind of look at some of the past history about right. alcohol and how it's involved in things. And I always think of, you know, like all the stuff we grew up with, with like the horror genre where they're like, you know, putting things in goblets and drinking them down. And, you know, it's always got this like crazy connotation to it, but really it's probably not that glamorous, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I mean, you talk about, like, the horror genre, you see very much so, like, um, yeah, cults having, like, the skull chalices or, like, uh, you know, some kind of vampire lord with, with blood red liquid in a glass ornate chalice and things like that and that um some of that stems from some real aspects but like the the truth of it is that we mead which is is um to make to make alcohol you need you need to ferment something like fruit grains or anything that can produce sugar and so before um, even like Mesopotamia, we were fermenting honey to make wine, which is called mead. And so that's that's a pretty crazy thought to wrap your head around, right? We were making alcohol before civilizations, which is, <laughs> is, is, is pretty bonkers. Um, and so when you start looking at it, alcohol is present everywhere in history. And so if you start like magnifying it a little bit, you notice that like it is a silent... Um, almost influence in a ton of different, uh, and you're talking about, you know, par- paranormal things and a ton of different religions, cults, um, rituals, all kinds of things like that. I mean, how many religions have a wine goddess or a wine god or a brewing god? Um, it, it really starts to fill out that, like, as humans, we've always loved alcohol, and so it's relevant in a bunch of rituals and religions and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, for sure. When I was a kid, you know, I always say I'm a reformed Catholic. Right. So, you know, I, I grew up a certain way, and then I learned things and then adapted. Um, but I will never forget, like, growing up, going to you know, church going to service and there would always be the wine yep. and it was always like, no, you can't drink that. You know, it was like right. so special. So right. Like, you know, and I grew up in an Italian household too. So it's like a little wine here and there was not really a big deal. But when right. you were in church, oh, forget it. You know, that was, <laughs> was like a that, whole different story. Was that a no for kids when at church like that? Cause I was going to ask 
That's I the first thing I thought of when you brought this topic I, up. I mean, I'm sure that there were probably kids that did it, but, like, we were never encouraged to do that. No. No, we like, always like went even, the other way. Like, you know? even during the service, like, when they give you the cookie. The, and the communion. The, yeah. 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 <laughs> the cookie. Yeah, yeah. We did the, the wafer, cookie. yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, that thing. The yeah, chocolate wafer. chip cookie. Yeah. Yeah. a different church than yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Evidently, you did. It was a little scary, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it is so ingrained in so much of what we do. And then you think about, you know, what this country must have been like during Prohibition. Right. Forget it. See, so yeah, you talk, we have, a, we have a couple good topics there. I mean, for one, Catholicism is probably the biggest um, flag or, or, or familiarity that we can pick up on when you talk about, like, religion, believing in the paranormal, believing in things we can't see, um, and, and a big mass group of people doing that. And uh, they obviously utilize wine in, in their practices. Um First of all, like, you know, not to not to hate on anybody's religion at all, but think about the idea of what you talk about the communion of what you're doing, right? They say, like, I'm offering you part of Jesus's body and his blood and you're supposed to drink this wine. And it sounds so crazy. Right. When you're, right? When you're right? not there. Like, <laughs> you're, you're, you're supposed to ingest this guy from 2000 years ago, his yeah. blood and body and in practice um but there is a ton of different references in the bible where they talk about breaking um bread and having wine and and referencing that exact phrase right this is my body this is my blood etc um they even have the catholic church has a a code of law called the uh, the code of corin law i believe it's pronounced and uh, this ref- this is an exact law in the catholic church talking about how pure that wine has to be um there was a time where we had two popes right we had a pope in france and we had a pope in italy and uh the pope in france lived near a village called chatenoff de pop which is the, the village of the pope right um which is a phenomenal wine region if you're a wine drinker i personally love it they do a lot of great stuff with ganache grapes um but in france in particular because to meet this kind of code um they would monks would go around and find a plot of land and be like this this land is sacred ordained by god we're going to build a wall around it no one else is allowed to grow grapes here but us sounds right right <laughs> we're, we're gonna grow the grapes we're gonna make the wine for the church and um so they did and nowadays obviously that some of it is still relevant but a lot of other people throughout like after the medieval era, regular people started owning these plots of lands. And so you can buy wine now, French wine, that says Clos, uh, C-L-O-S, and that refers to it's in one of these enclosed vineyards, which is kind of cool. You get a little taste of history. I don't think it tastes much different, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's cool. You get, and that you talk about, you know, that's a big part of the wine industry is, is tasting like the history of everything that's happened to those, those wine uh, of the land and the grapes. And so you can taste like, yes, I'm tasting something that monks believed was sacred. So there, um, but yeah. And, and then you talk even you know, further into the future, you talk about um, the, the prohibition wine was the only real liquor or not liquor but alcohol being bought and sold during prohibition legally and that was because of the catholic church the catholic churches in here were the only exception to that prohibition law so they could still import buy and sell wine um uh, so they kind of we the wine industry kind of owes them for that those 10 years or whatever for for keeping that uh that industry afloat in america at least that's so crazy to think about yeah. It's like no one else can have it, but you can. The church can. Yeah, right. Because yeah. it's, it's blood. Yeah. You're good. Because it is. Yeah, it's Jesus' blood. It's, yeah. It's all good. 
I mean, there is a lot of supernatural things that are kind of tied to religion. And I mean, we've touched on them here and there. And, you know, you just hear stuff like that. And you're like, yeah, that's kind of crazy. It's like the same thing you're talking about with like wine being at church as part of a sacrament is like, you know, you can go into a liquor store and there's like wine called vampire. (laughs) It's like two sides of the spectrum here of like how vast an array there is when it comes to this kind of stuff. Right. You can go get like the Walking Dead Cabernet. Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) That's what's interesting what you said about how, you know, they have their own lands in France to build it. Because it makes sense. It's like I never thought about it. Like, yeah. Does a priest just walk into a liquor store and just <laughs> you know, shelf? I need this bottle of whiskey for the church. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and that's and honestly, like Catholicism is kind of like the one of the milder ones, which is maybe why it's so like widely accepted nowadays. But um, so like Shinto over in like um the China and uh and Japan region, you get they they absolutely love alcohol. They love. Uh, sake they believe it is the the like nectar of the gods they believe that um the the same god that is responsible for sake is responsible for the harvest and and rice so they're like the drunker i get the better our rice production is going to be you know (laughs) um to the point where like they have a couple cool um things they do they have something i i'm going to butcher this pronunciation that's all right we We do do it all all the time time. Uh, Jichinsia, sure, I'm not uh, Japanese, so I'm not going to pretend to know how that's pronounced, but they um, they go around and they pour sake where they're going to build buildings, believing that it's going to sacredize the ground so the building will never fall, you know? Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah, it is kind of cool. Yeah. A little bit of a waste of sake, but, you know. Yeah. Um, they have a... Um, Get back to the earth. Right, right. <laughs> it's full circle. They have um, a festival in uh, Tonami where they get carps drunk. They they grab carps, they feed them sake, <laughs> throw them back in the water to make them strong enough to beat off water, evil water spirits. Oh, that's how that they came sense. here and, like, kill every freaking fish we have now, right? I like think that, that is one of the most badass rituals. Like, if I'm ever in... <laughs> To not Tonami, um, in my lifetime, I want to watch this. I just want to watch. I mean, seriously, the the SP or SPCA, whatever. They're they're not super happy with it, but um, that that's such a wild thing to me. Like, yeah. get imagine going to a crowd, like being the first guy, and be like. The way to rid us of the water demons is to get the fish drunk on our, our god's nectar, you know? It's uh, it's pretty crazy, but a lot of people buy into it, believe it, and, and do it full-heartedly. Well, the Japanese culture in general is very supernatural. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Beliefs. I, I love your, your episode on bathroom demons. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, to be able to do an entire episode on that is pretty right. crazy because there's so many of my them. My fiancé has to hold my hand while I go to the bathroom yeah. now. Just so <laughs> <it's> like... <laughs> it's pretty crazy, the kinds of... Uh, the amount of just supernatural beings they have in right. their culture. Yeah. So I can understand, you know, wanting to not have water demons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. They can be pretty vicious. <laughs> Absolutely. A few, a few episodes ago, we did one on just Japanese spirits in yeah. general, and we didn't even touch the surface of it. It's like we could do, like, a whole podcast just on that. Yeah. So, water demons and, and yeah. badass fish. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you got to deal with it, though. You just got to get drunk. Right. right? Yep. You just got to drink a lot of sake, and right. then, you know, you're good. You're protected. Problem solved. <laughs> they, have a, they have a winter festival where men... They have like two two groups. It's like a sport almost. Where two groups, one group gets drunk as hell. Give, give them a bunch of pine branches and they surround like a statue. And then the rest of the crowd grabs torches and tries to burn down the statue. And it's up to the drunk guys to stop that. Said <laughs> that's gotta be amazing. That right. Another thing I really wish I could go watch and witness. Um, that and, and they love it. They love it. You know. Um, Put yeah. that on the list with like the Krampus parades. Oh my gosh, yes. 
Yes. Every time Japan comes up on our show, it's like just makes me want to go there even more. Just I know. It's, yeah, it's my bucket it's like awesome. place. Um, we're going hopefully in like five years. Um, but yeah, and, and so you can come over a little further uh, towards us, and you get to like um, India and, and China and, and you know more Central Asia stuff. And you look at Buddhism. Buddhism is pretty neat because they have. Um, Almost all of them, a big percentage of them, take a vow of abs, uh, abstinence from, from alcohol. They believe it clouds your judgment, clouds the path to enlightenment. However, there is an exception. Of course. Uh, um, one, one ancient and sacred ritual to them is drinking from the kapala, um, K-A-P-A-L-A, kapahala, whatever, um, which is a human skull that they carve, ordain with print pretty gems you know fancy stones metals and stuff and then they can fill it with um some buns they can fill it with some blood or some alcohol and the only the the highest and most like prestigious llamas can drink from it um and then they believe that it passes the memories from the first drinker to the second drinker and so on. So you talk about, you know, you're just talking about having these chalices and horror movies and stuff like that. This is a real life example where people be digging up skulls, mm-hmm. <laughs> cutting them up in his cups and drinking out of them. Yeah, we've done some episodes on like holy relics. Yeah. Where like we found some of the same kind of things, like bowls made out of skulls and yeah. weird kinds of things and you know, again, you're looking at like the supernatural principles of that. Like, right. what is that going to infuse whatever you're drinking yep. with, and and how does that all work? But I guess any excuse to drink alcohol, right? Out of a skull, yeah. yeah. I you mean, know? I would do it in a heartbeat. This is going <laughs> to like yeah, enlighten yeah. you seven levels. Like, you're right. not going to have to, you know, do Absolutely. so much work. But you guys, it, my my end goal, right, is to get like a, a travel channel or food network show, and so this is a good stepping stone. Is hitting podcasts like this. So catch me in like five years and I'll, I'll be over there drinking out of a skull. Yeah, well, you'll be way <laughs> too big cool. for this show. No, no. <laughs> you, like, you won't be able to come back on our show. There'll be we like were, legal teams involved and yeah. agents. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to dive too far into this pool because we're going to hit it on the next episode. But like an idea of mine is traveling and doing like 20 haunted bars around America, filming me meeting with the owners, talking about experiences and things like that. So that might be like a YouTube TV type thing we do yeah, in the next year or two. For sure. I mean, there's a lot of, um, I still feel like as much as there's been like a lot of shows on that kind of stuff, there's always room always, for new always. Oh my gosh, the amount of cooking, um, you see like the, the cooking competitions, they're getting bananas. They're like, this cooking channel, we're going to tie your hands behind your back and yeah. you got to cook with your mouth. <laughs> we kind of feel like that's how the ghost shows are now too. Yeah. It's like, you know, we're going to blindfold you and send you into this crazy spot. and We're going to give you a helmet that lights up. Oh my God, don't talk about oh, the guy okay. helmet again. Yes crazy but yes was, like, that, was that 28 days haunted or something yeah. yes, yes. Yep. i saw those bananas yep. <laughs> yeah they're they really just when you think you've seen like everything that could possibly be out there they come up with something new so i mean yeah, yeah. It, it, a really cool phrase a turn of phrase i've heard recently is like yesterday's magic is today's science so you know give it a couple of years we might we might get some crazy technology out there that it helps the ghost hunting community. Well, we need it because we yeah. talk about this a lot in all the years that we've been doing this. Like nothing's really changed. Right. It's the same equipment it's we've like always stagnant. used. Yeah, it's just maybe mm-hmm. it's got a new light on it or right. a new feature on yeah, it. Or mm-hmm. the resolution's better on the video or whatever. I tell people yeah. all the time when, you know, in in the argument of, of the paranormal is like we, we didn't know radio waves existed until we, we created them, you know? Yeah. yeah you, you, talk to, you talk to somebody 2,000 years ago, they wouldn't understand electricity. You know, it's just it's just about progressing as a society till we understand it and can harness it. Well, I think that's the biggest hurdle, right? Is that 
we look at it like there's got to be some real science behind it. But right. most people that get involved are in it for the thrills and the chills and mm-hmm. the, right. you know, how scared can I get and how many demons can I summon? And, <laughs> you know, how many things can scratch me in a night? Right. So there's not a real push to develop, you know, good equipment and to look at scientific methods for things. Right. Because, yeah. you know, people want that instant gratification. And it, it takes people who, who believe in it and, and pursue it, you know? You think of like... Uh, you think of the guy Edison with the with the electricity and the kite and all of that. Everyone's like, "What are you doing? Trying to catch lightning? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard." Next thing you know, we have power lines to every house. You know, <laughs> it's 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 takes somebody believing in it and pursuing it enough to make it happen. Yeah, we say it all the time. It's like you know, we hear these crazy stories about these people that have experiences, but yet like there's no phone. There's no like everyone's got a phone. Right. Where is the camera when all these things are happening? Yeah. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you can read stories back in like the 50s and the 60s. You know, you hear like the Mothman accounts. Yeah. Because we have to figure of out course. a way to get that into every episode because uh, that's Rob's favorite. There's a hilarious uh, theory out there that I was actually reading. Someone brought to my attention the other day and I was reading a little article about it. And it's, there's a group of ghost hunters who are specifically going through like the bajillion hours of online pornography because they're like, those cameras have been on for millions of hours. They've got to <laughs> caught some ghosts somewhere. Yep. So they're just going through every video they possibly can trying to find one. Oh, my God. I mean, I it, feel ain't, like, it yeah. ain't wrong. I mean, like, yeah. How, how long possible. have the cameras been on? Right. You know? Um, but I thought that was a pretty humorous take on it. Well, that, that'll be the one place that they find. Right, like, they catch <laughs> something <laughs> legitimate. <laughs> yeah. And if you notice, this woman was thrown out of a building. <laughs> no one was there. Yeah, there's definitely some crazy stuff out there. And I feel like for us, it just got so saturated around here right. that, you know, at the height of what we were doing regularly, I feel like it was like the pinnacle of just all the shows being out and you know, everybody kind of getting involved. So it just got really difficult to do anything here seriously. Right. Because it all came down to people wanting that instant gratification, but then also the money that's involved. Right. So there's some really cool places out there that we still want to go and investigate, you know. Absolutely. And it's tough because with something so um, hard to to make credible, right? It's, I could open up, I could go buy that really scary prison over on 33 or whatever it is. And just be like, it's haunted. Come take pictures. I'll give me money. You know, yeah. and, you know I, I would have no idea. Yep. But people can do that. They can just say, oh, yeah, we saw a ghost. And then you take a camera in there and everyone's going to have a ghost story, even if they didn't. Yeah. See it, you know? And they did. They it, do. It's, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So it's, it's tough to, when you have such a hard thing to make credible, and then you start making it popular and, and stuff, it's hard to weed out. Some of the isn't. biggest places that we have on our bucket list, you know, $2,500 a night. Yeah. So, you know, you think about that and it's like, and you're not guaranteed anything. Right. So you could be there on an off night. I mean, Mm -hmm. it could have the craziest experiences from all these like eyewitness accounts of everything. You go. Supposedly. Right. Supposedly. You put your hard earned money down and then you spend eight hours there and nothing happens. Some of the biggest places we've been to, like biggest name places, nothing. 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 You just never know. Right. Yeah. You just, you don't. And then some of the places that we thought were going to be total busts were, like, some of the coolest places we've been. Yep. Have you tried drinking out of a skull? Yeah. No, we haven't tried that. But, wow. you know, there's always time. <laughs> <laughs> First, we have to get one. Right. You know, event, we have to, like, vo- find a volunteer, I guess, because, you know, I, I grave robbing one. is illegal. If we're going to get one, we got to get legit, like, a real one. Yeah. You can't go to, like, Party City and just... Like, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> But I feel like there's a, there's really a lot of 
you know, conversation that we could have around this that we don't even yeah. realize we could. Absolutely. You know, so many things are tied to it. It's nuts. Even like I'm super into like Egyptian culture and like the oh, Book yeah. of the Dead oh, and yeah. all of that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And, you know, they talk about the rituals that they use there and like wine was a big part of everything that they did. Absolutely, absolutely. It's like inherent in us. We're just supposed to drink, I guess. Um, yeah, uh, I'm gonna bring it back circle, right? Is is in Taoism, Taoism, T A O Ism. They they do a really cool thing. They believe in like a, a purgatory type thing, where if you died violently or a poor death or whatever, you are stuck in purgatory. You're called a hungry ghost to them. And so on the seventh uh, month of the Chinese calendar, they ring like a dinner bell and call all these ghosts to their dinner table and they have an abundant of offerings like wine and food and stuff like that and when they believe the ghosts are in their presence they start throwing the wine and food in different directions to try and ward them like chase the wine that way you know and like that's pretty rad that's like a, a ghost food fight right there yeah right? <laughs> that's I, again i want to go see some of these these cultures and what they do it kind of reminds me of like the day of the dead when they have like the picnic setups in the graveyards right and, right you know i mean they're not throwing anything at anybody but it seems like kind of a waste of wine in my what's opinion what's cool in like um you know childhood cultures you're seeing these things being written into like disney movies and stuff and the kids are getting more exposure to those things you know we just coco came out like the other one like, last year two years ago something like that and that's all about the day of the dead um you see like the red panda movie for kids all about like the red panda culture and belief over in, in china or japan so uh, you're seeing more of that being kind of exposed. And even the Princess and the Frog, you see a lot of that voodooism, absinthe kind of idea down there in the in the New Orleans area. So it's it's cool to see that um, younger cultures are being exposed to that. Yeah, that it's not so uh, you know taboo right anymore right. necessarily. And I, I mean, uh, good and bad. That also adds to that saturation. Yeah. Of you know future kids wanting to be ghostbusters yep well we need that generation right you know <laughs> if anything's going to come out of it i mean we can't to keep doing this forever no you know getting too old for this yeah we say that all the time mm -hmm. it's like you know it's trying to stay up past two o'clock in the morning now you're like oh that doesn't even sound appealing <laughs> <laughs> it's <10 o> <laughs> now. Yeah. but it used to be so much more appealing you'd be like oh yeah two yeah, o'clock no that's problem. your second wind <laughs> it's a tuesday sometimes yeah so you know just as a side note, um, years ago, Rob and I had started putting together a book called Appetite for the Afterlife. Yeah. And it was all kinds of like snacks and like desserts and things that were made. And they all had backstories that were related to, you know, made up ghost stories. Right, right. And I'm just thinking about this. Like we should try to maybe pair some of those up with some of Doug's cocktails and see if we could uh, make something really cool out of that. Hey man, I am down to to do like some bartending for like a ghost hunting something or other or like a seance party. I don't know. We would absolutely be down for that. Yeah, we should try to figure out something like that. Maybe maybe yeah. around Halloween time when you know everybody seems to all of a sudden want to be in a haunted location. Yeah. Oh, absolutely! Seems like such a long time from now. It's, yeah, <laughs> we'll, it, we'll get there. Yeah. So Doug, if people want to find you, how do they? How can they locate you? What yeah. social media are you on? Give us all your info. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, like I said, the brand is Liquid Art Mixology. So you can, that's a Twitter handle. Um, that's pretty recently a uh, TikTok handle. Um, there is a website being built. I think you can go to it. It's liquidartmixology.com, um, but it's not quite finished yet. 
Um, we're on Facebook page, uh, Liquid Art Mixology. Just Liquid Art Mixology, you'll find it. Um, most of our stuff is through uh, Instagram. That's kind of where we do all of our posting. Which makes sense. I feel like that's probably pretty popular now. But I have seen some of your TikToks. Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah, those are really cool. I'm the gonna, idea behind them. I'm going to make a TikTok out of this. So you, yeah. know, you can see a little bit of this interview. So <laughs> fun. Way ahead of us. <laughs> <laughs> I, was telling, I was telling Doug before he got here, I'm so bad at the social media stuff. I feel like an old geezer. I'm like, uh, I don't understand it. No, it's it's tough to keep can't up. Can't get my grip, good grip on it. You know. I feel like you could get a grip on it if you wanted to get a grip on it. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's tough to keep up with us. Mm-hmm. We, we try and do like a video a week, and even that sometimes mm-hmm. with everything else is is tough. It's a tough juggle. I yeah, need, I need to get like a social media manager when we make it. Well, for sure, because people that are doing that like every day, that's all they do. Right. You know, right, 12, yeah. 15 hours a day. So it takes a lot to be able to put content together for sure. But I do think that, um, you know, just kind of getting the opportunity to kind of talk about these things has made my wheel start turning about some future episodes that I think yeah. would be really cool that we haven't really touched on yet at all. Yep. And, you know, getting just some more information about some of like the cool cultural things that are related to, you know, alcohol and how it's used in their rituals and their customs. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's, it's a silence influence, silent influence in so many cultures and stuff. You see it being used everywhere. You just got to look for it. It's been a silent influence for us for a couple (laughs) of late night ghost hunts. After the ghost hunt. Yes. We don't drink and hunt at the same time, but... Yeah, and that's funny. You know, I, I thought there would be more of that I could find. I did do, try to do some research on, like, when you're when you're inebriated, can you... Is there any accounts of being inebriated and being able to, you know, commune with the dead or, or be more... Yes. Um, things like that. <laughs> and it, well, so that's an interesting first-hand account, right? Yeah. Um, but it, very little popped up on that. Mm-hmm. And when you start researching, like, effects of, of alcohol and this and that, it is... Uh, the, the internet kind of hates alcohol. They're very anti-alcohol, you know? Yeah. You type in, like, effects of alcohol in your body. You're trying to get, like, a scientific point of view from it and they're just like it can damage your liver it can damage this it can damage this yeah so no i mean essentially you, ethanol is poisoning your body yes that's accurate but in um small quantities like it the the whole thing is you don't digest ethanol it goes into your bloodstream and it increases the size of your blood vessels um which makes you a little warm at first and then you start you start dialing back and you'll get chills and cold after they've been open for some time but the big thing is it reduces uh, blood pressure because your blood vessels are open. So, I mean, if you have high blood pressure, go get drunk. There you go. That's, you know, I'm a, not a doctor, but yeah, <laughs> sounds legit. I mean, I think for us, it's just we've always like made it a thing where we just don't do it while we're hunting because a lot of times you're in places that are unsafe. Right. You know, you're in yeah. like buildings that are kind of falling apart. Yeah, you're in the dark. Holes in the floor. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you don't want anybody to get hurt. I mean, if you were in a controlled environment where you didn't have those things, I could see how it potentially could maybe open people up more that right. are closed off. Yeah, but like, like we could speak to that. Like, you know, like you said, we don't, we never drank during the ghost hunt, but there were many times when afterwards we did, and then we're spending the night at the haunted location. Okay, so, I got you. Unintentionally. Things happen. Oh yeah, yeah. like yeah, Rob's well. a—he's a, the the skeptic. He always has been, which I very much appreciate because I feel like you know you need a balance Absolutely. when you're going yeah. and investigating. And there's been plenty of times when we've been investigating, we do the whole investigation. Ah, yeah, it wasn't anything. It wasn't anything. Then you know you have a couple of drinks, you go to bed, you get up the next morning, and it's like somebody was in my room. Uh. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. 
I heard a music box playing that I don't know where it came from. Right. You know, because it's like you, your guard's down. Right. And that could go really well for people or it could go really bad for people. Mm-hmm. It depends right. on the mindset that you're in. And that's, I mean, I think that's kind of why humans have kept alcohol in, this, in our like societal um, culture so long is, is that it does dull your senses. It allows you to be, you know, higher pain tolerance, have a, you feel stronger, um, and, and it helps dull pains or aches and things like that. So I think that's a big thing is it does lower your defenses, lower your guard. So I mean, in a way, I guess it could help you see some ghosts. That makes sense. So that's what we have to do with you. We just have to get you drunk before every investigation. Right, as long as only one of you is drunk, I think you're safe. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. And then when it attaches and you go home with it, you know, what do you yeah, do? What are you going to do? Yeah. Well, it's just part of life, honestly. Yeah. So um, we can expect the book out in the next couple of months. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully fingers crossed. Hopefully, I'm I'm praying it's done by February, but we'll see. So, but people could check you out on social media, get yeah, some updates. Yeah, I would, I would say at things. the latest by the end of February, it should be out circulated, and and like you can order it off of our website. Off of, we're hoping to have it in some stores and everything, and you should be able to get a hold of it. Very cool. Um, I think that it's just awesome that you came on the show. Thank you. You know, um, again, Doug Carlson. And we are super excited just to be able to talk about something a little bit different. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, we've been doing the show for so long that sometimes... You need a different, different perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Different thing to... Yeah. Different angle to look at things. And we are not authorities on anything, right, Rob? <laughs> absolutely not. No. We, there's so much that we don't know. No. Like so... <laughs> But it is really cool just to get a different perspective and, um, you know, just to have the opportunity to kind of talk to somebody who's into the same stuff we are, right. oh, yeah. but also, you know, is coming from just a different side of it. So I'm excited to check out the book. Um, I think that, you know, the stories that you tell, you are a storyteller. Thank you. <laughs> so that'll make it so much different than probably a lot of other stuff that's out there. And I really hope people check it out. And when the book comes out, maybe we can have you back on again. Sure. And we can kind of talk about some more of this cool stuff. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks.